Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to MarthaBeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I've been trying to figure it out just this morning by rolling down the hill outside our house. Mm -hmm. I found Marty waiting for me at the bottom of the hill because she'd figured it out coming down much more quickly somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I found that if you roll fast enough, the centrifugal force presses your underbrain all into your (laughs) neocortex so that all the knowledge you've accumulated throughout hundreds of millions of years of evolution is suddenly in the neocortex and it's, it's all right there. Easy peasy. Everybody go try. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I just, I have nothing to say to that. Well, then what are you really trying to figure out? All right. This week, Marty, I am trying to figure out the mysteries of the maternal instinct. Mm. So I had an episode recently that I never even told you and Karen about with our daughter, Lila. (gasps) And I just, I didn't tell you about it because I didn't want to scare you but I think it was quite a powerful demonstration of what the maternal instinct can be now I am scared you should be (laughs) um you're gonna stab us in our beds in case we're bad for the girl just in case (laughs) just in case because you can't be too careful Mm. so I was running the bath for Lila Mm -hmm. as I do every night we finish dinner and Lila and I go upstairs and it's time for her bath, usually because she has rubbed 
fish or some vegetable matter or something in very like intensely into her yes. scalp and it's the hair. way she does every meal when she's done with her mm. food even though there's still food on the plate she picks up the plate and wears it as a hat upside down there's also <laughs> some vigorous rubbing like i can't the rubbing's not only incidental oh yeah no the rubbing is is very forceful i feel like every night i just say i guess we're not gonna skip the bath tonight then no so we're up there. I'm running the bath. She finds this very exciting, this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so I put the bath on. I put some bubble bath in there. And I took a moment to relieve my bladder. Oh. Lila was in, sort of in with me. She likes to grab her bath toys and sort of put them into the bath. And so I was... Just taking a moment, she's putting them in the bath and then she still had all her clothes on and everything and all of a sudden she was in the bath. Like she just went, she leaned over and this is, our child is tall for her age. Mm. Uh, All her dimensions are strong. (laughs) (laughs) And she, so she's suddenly in the bath. She's just gone right in and I was horrified and so I come running over and this is the maternal instinct just kicked Mm. in mighty. And it was before I even knew it, she was out of the bath. She barely had time to react. She was just like blinking of, you know, and the water was still cold. I should have said that. The water's still cold. So she's fully clothed, sitting in cold water without warning. I pull her out. I pull all the clothes off. I hug her. I hold her. And that's, I think, at about the point where I realized that my maternal instinct was so strong. Like, Mm -hmm. you know how they say it can like override all kinds of physical yeah. limitations. You can so, pick up a car, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so for me, what happened was I suddenly stopped and took a deep breath and I was I was satisfied that our child was safe. And I realised that my maternal instinct had overcome the instinct that would usually tell you, <laughs> stop peeing <laughs> uh, because you're now standing up and running away from the toilet. This is no time. And so... <laughs> So, Marty, I mean, this was bad right there. I had, I mean, it was intense. I, there was, I had peed on my pants. I had peed on the floor. I had peed on Lila quite a lot. It had just been happening the whole time. And I just wonder why must all the circuitry go to that? Like it wouldn't have taken that many neurons to go, oh, we won't be needing to finish that pee now. No wonder the dogs have been trying to move out of the house. <laughs> God, it was so bad. Oh, my God. You told me when I went in there one day that almost everything in there had been peed on, but I made assumptions that the peer in question was short. Tall for her age, but shorter than you. you usually it's her. In this instance, <laughs> I confess, it was not her. <laughs> that oh, is frightening. Dear. I am frightened. Thank you. Thank you. What are you trying to figure out? Okay, I just I just remembered a story. Your your mother, the beautiful and wonderful Paula Keo is here visiting us. And one time I heard Paula and Ro talking about oh, a friend no. who had come to see Paula and they were having a they had a rather fractious uh, relationship. Mom's going to kill you for telling this story, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> and and they were talking about different things and the name Christy came up, which I thought was the friend. And then Rose said, um, 
Yeah. And then that awful thing happened. And Paul said, oh, yeah. They just winced, both of them. And I said, what? What? What happened? And they said, um, <laughs> Paul said, I woke up and uh, in bed and she was peeing on my face. <laughs> and I, yeah. was, I was like, Australia is even stranger than I thought. <laughs> and I said, well, she was peeing on your face? And she said, well, she was pregnant. <laughs> We've all done strange things. Right. I've had this. I have this image. I mean, you have it in your your mind as well. You know, somebody waking up to find a pregnant woman being crouching over your face. <laughs> Turns out Christy was the cat. They yeah. had switched subjects of story, mm. you know, as people who know each other are wont to do, yes. without telling me <laughs> that, that it was different. And it did give me quite the brisk, like, period of elevated heart rate just thinking about it. <laughs> anyway, that's not what I'm trying to figure out. I figured that out already. <laughs> What are you trying to figure out? I'm trying to figure out what is going on with the lovely and talented country singer Faith Hill. I couldn't tell you. I don't know anything I'm about not, her. I'm not really familiar with her music. She is talented and lovely, but I was raised thinking that was Satan's music. <laughs> Everything that wasn't classical or hymns was Satan's music. Anyway, I recently heard a Faith Hill song. It's mm -hmm. called My Wild Frontier. Okay. And it begins, how do I feel? Well, I feel so alone, mm. like a sad armadillo hmm. through the desert I roam. So, I, like, so come back to this. Line yeah. one yeah, yeah. was? How do I feel? Well, I feel so alone. Look, to me, that's a pretty good start to a country song. It is, yeah. You know, like, all right, yeah, I feel so alone. Yeah. I'm so lonesome. I'm out on the plains. I was fine with that. I'm a cowboy of some sort. It's when the metaphor came in of the sad armadillo. So I'm, I'm – how do I feel? I feel so alone. And then... Like a sad armadillo, armadillo through the desert I roam. Okay. So I'm <laughs> from America. Uh, can you tell me a little bit, and I know I'm asking the right person here, can you tell me a little bit about armadillos? Well, I can, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I knew certain things anyway. I, I knew that, for example, they're the only animal besides humans that can catch leprosy. <laughs> Also, that they always give birth to identical quadruplets. Really? Yeah, which makes you wonder, what did Eve Armadillo do to piss off God Armadillo? Because like yeah. in the Bible, Eve takes the fruit and then God says, in pain shalt thou bring forth children all the days of thy life or something like that. And then I just wonder what Eve Armadillo must have eaten for like God Armadillo was like, now you've done that. They're coming in. They're coming in groups of four, and you can't tell them apart. Like it's going to be really. It must have been like a creme caramel or something. <laughs> of, something of the knowledge really of good, good and evil. <laughs> the creme caramel of the knowledge of good and evil. Ooh, there's a recipe idea. Anyway, <laughs> so I went. But what I was wondering is like, how does a sad armadillo roam? And how? how I don't mean to be. But how do you know it's sad? She says it's a sad armadillo through but, the desert she roams. Oh, I guess she's sad. She must know. So I went in and I Googled to find out what armadillos do when they're sad. And by the way, it's quite a treasure trove in there. There's like, the first, the first thing people had Googled is, what good are armadillos? <laughs> I'm like, for their own sake, what good are you? Um, anyway, and then the next one was, can armadillos climb steps? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. someone's like crouched in their bedroom. <laughs> afraid and then it said what makes armadillos scream 
And wow. the answer was, oh, they said, why do armadillos scream? And the answer was to express their fear and pain. Oh. Yeah. So, and I looked it up and they go kind of like, like that. They do they do sound. it while they're roaming the desert? Do you That's think? apparently true. Yeah. Like, so now here's the deal, you guys. By mm. her own admission, this amazingly talented and beautiful woman <laughs> stipulated has literally been roaming through the desert going <laughs> because <laughs> she's so sad, possibly because she's carrying either leprosy or identical quadruplets or both both and nobody's done anything jesus i mean if that's not a cry for help that's no that's for, i mean all country music is a cry for help but this <laughs> really takes it to the next level <laughs> yeah and wow maybe they tried to help and she just rolled into a ball i don't know i had to google armadillos just to so they could really get the picture in my head they're a funny little guys yeah and they kind of boop 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 so I just picture Faith Hill out there. They look like they're wearing little high heels. So I picture her roaming through the desert in high heels. Oh, no, leprosy. Um, it's just, I just think someone should have done something. Oh, I completely agree. I'm so glad you're bringing this to our attention. It's, Thank you. It's time. It's Good time someone God. did something. It oh, is time. Yeah. Right. I am so sorry, Marty, that, that you've been through this. I had no idea. I know. It's been a rough ride. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> So listen, I wanted to say that one of the things we've been noticing on Bewildered as our wonderful peeps leave us reviews and sometimes they chat with me on Instagram and I hear a lot of, where's Karen? True that. Our beloved Karen, who we talked about in the episode of, ah, do you The one about Unshameable? us. I don't I think, remember. Uh, I actually don't remember which one, but you should listen to them all. Um... <laughs> So Karen is our beloved and she prefers not to podcast. It's not it's not really her bag. But nevertheless, we thought we'll bring the spirit of Karen in yeah. to Bewildered as like a semi-regular item. Yeah, because maybe? Karen is an absolute genius at the conversational pivot oh, yes. and many other <laughs> like quirks that you will not find in any other human being. And uh, this is the sign language for Karen. Yeah, yeah. It's, do American Sign Language for pivot. It's like you make a little duck with your hand and then turn it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she's famous for this. Somebody will come to her and say like, oh, my gosh, I'm grieving the loss of all my loved ones. And she will say, this literally happened. How do chickens sleep? <laughs> <laughs> so this, is, this yeah. is, Karen is just, you have to experience her. And since we can't get her to to come and podcast with us. We just thought we'd have a Karenism of the episode every time. Yeah. She's yeah. always said something delightful. So we have wine time every afternoon. We don't necessarily. We don't always drink. We don't always drink, but it is the time where wine might be had. Adam, and it, my son with Down syndrome, named it wine time. So that's right. that is what it is. So we commune. And Karen usually turns up for wine time with like an agenda. Is that fair? Oh, I think that's fair to say, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, been, she's been basting it all day. <laughs> so Karen will read something or watch something or learn something in oh, some constantly. way. She's always like feeding the brain. Often they're like the details of obscure murders. Very, very often. Um, yeah. But in this case, we got this non sequitur at wine time last week. Karen, <laughs> Karen pops up and says, you know. Without preamble. No, 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 God, no, no preamble. In fact, we were probably talking about something completely different. Yeah. 
And she says, can I say it? Please do. Okay. This is what she said. (laughs) She didn't say that bit. (laughs) Even when I was preparing this, I couldn't say it without laughing. She goes, I read this article about the Dutch and I didn't know this, but apparently they are quite frank. (laughs) That was, and then she was done. That's it. That's, That's the it. whole thing. <laughs> She's been waiting all day <laughs> to present her thought du jour. And it's, yeah, the, the Dutch are quite frank. You heard it here first. I did not know that. No. Actually, I did. <laughs> I've had Dutch clients. They are frank beyond belief. Are they quite frank? Quite. I think that's quite accurate. She did us all a service. So there you go. There's a little glimpse into Karen Gertis, our Karenism beloved. of the week. Karenism of the week. Okay, so what is our topic, though? Our actual topic that we're going to bewilder the folks about. So the cool thing that happened this week is that we were sort of batting around ideas, Marty, and we came up with a completely original topic that no one had ever thought about before. So we did. It's so cool. It's called happy washing. And you do it by... Putting someone in a bathtub and then peeing all over the room. How <laughs> dare you? That's called a golden shower and you know that perfectly well. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favour to ask. You might not know this, but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And um, a review would also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Mwah! change eh Mm, it sure does keep happening i feel like there's something that you martha beck have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it oh by coincidence now that you mention it i have it's called the change cycle Mm. it's about four aspects of the whole process of change and we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So it's like happy washing is like brainwashing. And it's when people try to force you into a state of happiness or performative happiness, right? So... Your, um, it's like when you're, when you're zooming the way we are zooming now, you're going on zoom to do a meeting or something and you have to clean the portion of your house that is going to be on the camera, the background. Yeah. You have to clean the background and, uh, you don't show people what's a mess basically. Right. So there can be mess all around the back. This is Muddy's metaphor, which I think is brilliant. It's like the, I don't want you to see how I live. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the thing that's worse is not just that people do it because they're, they don't want their mess to show, but that mm. there's a kind of cultural assumption that you should do it. You know, right. don't air your dirty laundry in public, right? Yeah. Everybody assumes you've got it. That's fine. 
not in public. But it's more than you have to be super happy. Well, that is, yeah, especially in America. Yeah. For yeah. reasons we will discuss later. Sociological reasons. <laughs> oh. So anyway, we were, t- we were talking about this completely original idea that we'd had for a while. <laughs> and then I started thinking, this sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, Rose said, wait a second. We're talking about something that literally, literally everyone discusses online. Yeah. It's called toxic positivity. And we weren't original anymore. But the word, the phrase happy washing. It's much better. It's I mean, I don't want to, but it is better. It's easier to say than toxic positivity. Like, like what's he doing? He's engaging in toxic positivity. He's happy happy washing. washing. There you go. See? It yeah. just rolls off the tongue. It's great. Mm. The psychology group defines toxic positivity as... <clears throat> the excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. The process of toxic positivity results in the denial, minimization, and invalidation of the authentic human emotional experience. Mm. So, yeah, what we've been talking about, but with a less silly name. Yes. Or more silly name, depending. But, so, along with the silly name, we thought, well, let's let's dig in. Let's see mm. where we can go with our usual bewildered, bewildered structure. Because as y'all know, in this podcast, we help people from bewilderment. Why am I happy watching? (laughs) To bewilderment, to our wild, true nature, to see what's under there if we take the culture away. That's right. And Marty, what what would you say the the culture says about happy washing oh my gosh i mean this is why everybody talks about it online right it's constant and and you've probably heard up i i had one friend whose mother always said i never hear i never want to hear another yip out of you don't i don't want to hear a yip out of you or you know and my my I had in a different relationship that i had earlier in my life <gasps> yes i used to hear often the phrase buck up Mm, buck up is a good yeah, one. Yeah, sometimes yeah. while I was actively in surgery. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I mean, and the worst one to me, the most toxic one to me is um, it could be worse. Ugh. Could oh. be worse. I just of course a... it could be worse. It could be, yeah. Let's find the ways in which it could be worse. You could get leprosy and have identical quadruplets. Yeah, there's cheer up. There's oh, yeah, don't complain. Turn that frown upside down. <gasps> Go to the sunny side of the street. Oh, I hate, I hate it. It is toxic. I mean, you can just, I can feel these these lovely, bright, sunny words coming out of your mouth and my whole body just going, oh, yeah. oh my God, it's, it's poisonous. It does feel, I mean, it's so obviously poisonous and yet it's something we take and pass on in our families oh, and yeah. everybody has a family culture that most family cultures have some version of this. If only for the reason that children are very difficult and adults <laughs> don't want to hear them cry anymore. Right. So it's like you. some families just totally ignore any sign that anyone isn't happy. Right. Um, some people get punished for showing, don't you cry or I'll give you a reason to cry. That was in, uh, that was in my family. Uh, Stop crying or I'll give you a reason to cry. Oh, that's bad. I'm like. But world hunger isn't enough. That's what I'm crying about. <laughs> I've just read Einstein again, mother. 
And I'm <laughs> concerned about his ninth paragraph on special relativity. You're, you're sad about nuclear war? I'm going to punch you in the face for that. Anyway, go on. Sorry, I'm getting... This sounds like my therapy. Go on. You t- <laughs> so when we... Yeah, so that that's that sort of family culture of, of everything's fine, everything's fine. And I think it can be... I mean, I think it's damaging, not to oh, state the obvious, God, yes. but like if you're a little impressionable person, I mean, the only thing that could be worse is you're, one of your primary caregivers peeing on you <laughs> after you've just gone through a very traumatic situation. Still Stop crying about getting peed on or I'll give you something to cry about. Oh. Stop, stop crying about falling in the bath and nearly drowning. I'll give you something to cry, <laughs> cry about. Here it is. <laughs> I'm never oh. going to get tired of that story. Dear. Anyway. No, I, think, I think that what happens when, when, especially when that's kind of baked into a yeah. culture, like a family culture, Deeply. is that it – because it's a lie, it has to create a distance because yeah. you're not telling the truth and there's no intimacy then, right? Yeah. So you, it, it's like it's so it's one of the worst cultural um, like consequences of, of creating yeah. a culture because there's so much separation yeah. between people in that. In the in- interests of creating group harmony, you basically destroy intimacy. Right. Oh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Like yeah. sit down and shut up. We all hate each other. We don't know each other. But yeah, but we're God. all smiling at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, oh the stuff of so many TV dramas is right there, isn't it? Oh, my God. Right. So what was your like, what was your TV drama? What was your <sighs> culture growing up in your family? I was raised in Utah Valley, which is the heart of Utah State, which is also known as Happy Valley. Oh, my God. Because it is like, the, literally you mean. Yeah, they it's call literally it called Happy Valley. With no irony or no with, irony. Oh, wow. no. Irony is not a thing in Happy Valley. And <laughs> that's a great line. It's, it's because uh, it's the most, uh, by population, is the Mormonist place in the world. And there's a happy washing is major wow. in Mormon culture, as far as I remember it back in the day, long ago. But like everyone has to be dressed in shiny bows. The big thing is uh, everybody's have has to be like the sound of music. What was mm, that? The Von Trapps. The Von Trapps. They all have to sing together. They all have to wear the same things made out of the mother by the same curtains for no money. And everybody's happy all the time because we have the true church and we're going to heaven. And uh, 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 uh. Anyway, so, yeah, it's very strong happy washing culture, mm. which I totally bought because it was everybody around me. And I was sure. like, all right. All right. So you, you be- believed that the happiness was true or you no, didn't no. think to wonder if it was I knew true. the happiness wasn't true. All right. <laughs> I wanted to kill myself. No, sure. But other people's? Did you know that other people's happiness I was pretend? they were faking it too, but they were faking it better than I was. That's probably the case. It's funny. It never occurred to me that they were really happy. I just yeah. couldn't, I couldn't imagine that. But then I went at, at 17, I went to college. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this. I don't think you have. But where did yeah. you, I mean, it was a long way away, I guess. Yeah, it was in a culture where you get a lot of pressure to happy wash in a different way. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. what, what do you mean? So, you know, I went to Harvard and there, I remember reading this story about uh, when the, the one of the presidents of Harvard was a professor and a student brought in a paper late and he said, I'm sorry, I didn't get this to you yesterday. I was feeling really awful. And supposedly this guy said, the professor said, I think, young man, you will find that most of the people who've accomplished anything significant were feeling pretty awful. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> okay. 
you don't show weakness. And then, then I had kids, and I was trying to be a Mormon mom and a Harvard mom, and there were no other Harvard moms there I, that, among the student body. I didn't know anybody else who had kids. And I would just hang in there as long as I could, happy washing like a freaking maniac, mm. and then completely implode for days on mm. end. Mm. Yeah, it basically, um, it was not a fun life, but I pretended it was. So uh, is there really, at Harvard, there's a culture of, <laughs> of pretending to be happy? Not happy, but completely unruffled. Unruffled, okay. So yeah. in its own way. No, do I have any problems? No. <laughs> mm. Was that hard for me? God, no. Are gotcha. you kidding? It was so easy. No, no. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, you don't show weakness. Right. And there are different, you know, there are different textures and shades of happy washing for every different cultural group, I would think. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, it's funny for me. I, I feel like... I feel like I didn't really have that. Like I was huh. most of my childhood, the culture, I think I've said this before, but the culture, the cultural group was me and my mum. So right. it was just like that, like a cult, it's harder to build a really strong culture when there's only two people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. Is that true? I don't think so. I think Maybe. that if, if somebody's very domineering and narcissistic, they can create a very strong culture, but that is the opposite <laughs> of your mother. <laughs> that was not our situation. Your mother is forgiving for people who pee on her face in the in her sleep oh yeah I mean there was, she was so pregnant. many she was pregnant <laughs> we've all been there uh so it's funny that oh because I told the pee story that's why you told the pee story I was like this, this is, is all about urine we should just call this the urine episode <laughs> no but so I think I think your mother um is a very genuine person and and she like watching her with Lila I can mm. imagine her with you as a baby she's very welcoming of whatever the kid is feeling she was also a kind of hippie and very much in that 80s kind of you know she studied naturopathy and Mm. there was like she wanted me to call her Paula instead of mum that didn't go well long term but you know so there's this like authenticity a value of authenticity and uh so I don't I didn't really have that as a kid but I do have a friend who has that toxic positivity it's always it could be worse it's always Mm. and there's something so undermining about it I mean I think for her it's probably a protective mechanism of some Mm. sort but god it's annoying oh it's so annoying (laughs) it's so annoying it's so annoying I just feel really annoyed you get to feel annoyed I'll let you I'll be happy (laughs) so what, what happened to you when you didn't when you go about the world and you're not a happy washer because you really are unusual that way. I think that's why we get on. <laughs> uh, in the world. So I think, all right, so two things. So I think that in Australia, you know, you were talking about the Harvard version of happy yeah. washing. I think in Australia maybe the the version, I'd love to hear from Aussies if they think this is true, is like um, take uh, easygoing uh, washing. <laughs> so you're laid back and groovy. Laid back washing. Yeah, like just don't get so worked up about things. So I could do that without – and to me that's more passive and sort of neutral. So if mm. I was going to work or whatever and I wasn't happy, I wouldn't perform happy but I would perform neutral and un, unfazed. And as, mm. a, as a highly anxious human being, that was a performance. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't mind. I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> cool and groovy. Cool yeah, and groovy. Cool and groovy. <laughs> Yeah, so, but, you know, it's that kind of, the whole thing is that 1950s, um, yeah. 
little boxes on the that's, hillside. Yeah, that song. I was going to say that everybody, they all, they're all made out of ticky tacky and they all look just the same. And that's yeah. an American thing. Like I think what we're, the happy washing, the toxic positivity, even though I have a friend who does it back home, I think it's like it is quite an, well, I, I think know. it hit a peak in the 1950s after World War II because um, one of the things that I learned was that they discovered PTSD and memory repression and trauma, a lot of about trauma psychology because of the soldiers coming back oh, from right. World War II. And mm -hmm. they'd have things like they wouldn't be physically injured, but they'd be paralyzed and then they'd remember mm -hmm. the battle and be able to move again. And so they had, they made a lot of progress and then, and they actually filmed some of it. I've seen the films, it's black and white and it's really amazing stuff. Well, that was all suppressed by the government because it was a good war. And we won, and nobody mm. had a bad time over there. Wow! It was all, and that you know, it's all let's have war games, and it's all fun. And then they took, then people went to Vietnam, and they were like, "What? Well, this is not fun!" Right, right. And I think there was a backlash in the '60s because people were like, "Wait, wait, wait!" And you see all the movies, the whole hippie mm. movement of the '60s that was part of what created your mother was an, actually a backlash against the intense happy washing. I think that emerged from that war. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. That's so interesting that Vietnam was really a reckoning about happy washing. Yeah. Uh, really and, you know, was. I mean, a lot of, a lot of not just <laughs> the Vietnam yeah, War was, was all about just a referendum <laughs> on toxic positivity. It's not bombing everyone in the world. It's that you have to be cheerful. <laughs> it, could have, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Can yeah. I tell a thing that I saw once in a truck stop? Um, there was a a bikey gang came in, came rolling in, and you know how they have the like the patches on their mm -hmm. leather jackets, yeah, yeah. And the guy standing in front of me in line, <laughs> big patch. You know they were clearly Vietnam vets with the long yeah. um, beards and everything. And uh, he's just said, "Shit, we were winning when I left." <laughs> I love it so much. I Do think about that all the time. That this huge percentage of returning Vietnam veterans to the U.S. bought motorcycles and started, and they. One psychologist that I really respect thinks it's because the the motorcycle allows you to shake. Yeah. And physical shaking is what heals trauma in animals that have been through like near death so situations. Cool. So yeah, they're trying to like hap they're trying to shake it out of themselves, and then they're like, yeah, but I'm still tough. Yeah. It's a different version of happy washing. The yeah. biker gang happy yeah. washing. Yeah. Also, I mean, this is off topic, but also like there's a kind of a kind of reckoning with masculinity and oh, sure. and the need to be after war to be among your the people that you were in the war with and that can yeah. relate to you. You know, yeah. the gang is a kind of expression. Because you don't of that. have to tell them what happened and you're not allowed to tell anybody else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because it's it's completely we know instinctively that it is soul murder. To mm. say, I feel fine when you're in anguish, yeah. emotional anguish, yeah. or physical I mean, anguish for that matter. What a cruel thing to do to yourself to tell that lie. Yeah, it's horrific. And, and basically, my entire career got started when I started telling people I thought that wasn't a great idea. Mm -hmm. And still, I mean, last week I coached this dude who is brilliant and wildly successful and everything. And... He was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go do that. I, I have all these projects in the works. Which one should I do? And I was like, do what feels good and do the part of it that feels good. And if it feels bad, then don't. Mm. He was like, oh, 
And he literally said out loud, such a different way of thinking. And I'm like, <laughs> armadillos know this. They're out there. Do they keep it in? No. When they're sad, they express it. And when they when something feels bad, they don't do it. Every animal but humans is true to its nature when it comes to suffering and the lack of suffering. That Faith Hill song is telling the story of happy washing. She's, uh, well, it's telling the story of, of a backlash against happy washing. That's true. Because she is so lonely that like a, like a sad armadillo through the desert she roams is, is actually her expressing both through the roaming and through the screaming. That's, that's why no one's done anything for her because everybody pretends it's not real. <laughs> they don't know that this is literally true. But she probably feels better by having expressed the armadillo, like the screaming and the roaming. Maybe she doesn't feel, oh, although it's in the present tense, isn't it? Oh, we've yeah. got to dig deeper. I don't know. Also, the question does arise, can she climb steps? <laughs> I've always wondered that. Because things could go wrong. I feel like we're getting off topic. Yeah, <laughs> so... <laughs> So uh, you were just saying, like, the problem is actually not just that the culture does this, but that we start to believe it. Right. So it seems to me that if you are forcibly happy washing those around you, Mm -hmm. probably through no fault of your own, probably because the culture you, you know, the family culture you grew up in. Oh, by the way, Mm. I want to say something else about family cultures. Yes. Glennon Doyle on her podcast said the most brilliant thing about how with children and raising children when you when the kid comes in the room and you've been fighting and mm-hmm. you and they go what's wrong and you say nothing nothing that is gaslighting your kids and it's fucking them up yes that's the next tag on this episode <laughs> but it is and that's the right word so there you go anyway yes so when you through no fault of your own probably start yeah. um happy washing those around you you are ultimately going to start doing that to yourself yeah so not like disallowing your own negative feelings like forget about talking about it like feeling it might become oh let me tell you almost everyone i've ever coached and i've coached hundreds and hundreds of people one-on-one they all do it i mean everybody's happy washing to the point where it becomes brainwashing and the culture can sit back and twiddle its thumbs because we're doing it to ourselves Mm, mm, and mm. at that point (laughs) oh that's so isn't it amazing what what we'll do Oh my gosh, that socialized part of us. And it really does. It pulls us pulls us way far away. And what that does is that it creates a schism that's between the truth and the story, the same thing, but that schism is now inside us. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I once wrote in a book um, that uh, the prisons are full of men who need to grieve and are only allowed to rage. Mm. and psychiatrist's office are full of women who need to rage and are only allowed to grieve. Oh, my God. That's really good. Oh, thank you very much. I was super proud of it. Um, (sighs) But so there's a gender component to it for Mm. sure. And in my life with all the weird, (laughs) the the strange kinds of happy washing coming from different directions, it just it took me into profound depression. So when I was 18, I ended up in a therapist's office and he said something I'd never heard anyone say before. What are you feeling? Nobody, oh people would say, how you doing? How you feeling? How's it feel? But they never said, what are you feeling? And it just, it pulled me up short. And I immediately started to, like tears just, hmm. just spouted out of my head. I wasn't making any noise, but I was like, mm, I'm fine. And he said, then why are you crying? 
and basically changed the entire course of my life in like five minutes. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so I stopped happy, happy watching quite so much. Yeah, because it's like, that. I mean, that shit is worse than self-destructive right i mean that like i was saying there's like there's a real cruelty there that's that's created through that denial and you know i'm I'm sure that it's it's cyclical right so in the same way where if you were brought up doing that you'll end up doing it to yourself i'm sure that it can go the other way where if you're doing that experiencing that break in yourself between your what are you feeling and great yeah then you're going to be cruel to others ultimately well, you, by you, doing the same thing you sense the lion it's like it's like you have some uh, some belief that tells you you're supposed to like not eat for a month at a time and someone comes in and says i haven't eaten since breakfast i'm hungry and you just look at me and go, i'll show you hungry like because mm. you're repressing something natural to you when somebody else is expressing it right it's the part of you that's been repressed. It has a cruel dictator. It's a very yes. cruel dictator. And if it's holding sway inside your own head, it will lash out at other people. There's no way around it. It's really interesting because when we talked about shame, one of the things that came up was that if if someone's shaming you, attempting to shame you, it's mm-hmm. because they're shaming themselves right. a lot. Like it has to be that way. And this is a kind of similar thing, isn't it? That yeah. if someone's happy washing you, you know it's because they're not allowing their own negative feelings Definitely. To, to come through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And um, we come by it honestly in this country. Can I talk about sociology? <laughs> I just, oh, I wish you would. I mean, I just, I, where did you, like, first of all, where did you learn about sociology, Martha? I, you know, I think I just picked it up in the mean streets. Oh, Harvard. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the mean streets of Massachusetts. Of Cambridge, Massachusetts, yes. But actually, the the... The biggest early scholar of the biggest, I learned to talk good there too. (laughs) One of the most powerful uh, creators of the whole field of sociology was a guy named, a German dude named Max Weber. And he went around analyzing cultures. And when he analyzed American culture in particular, Mm. he wrote about uh, a book called The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. And he believed that the whole culture was founded on this, the Calvinists who came over from Europe, who believed that you were chosen for either damnation or salvation before you were born. Hmm. And the whole life you're living is just kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't know what it's even for. But God will always favor the chosen. So everybody tried to make their lives look really, really good to prove that they were chosen. But if you were chosen, if you looked as good as the neighbor, that still didn't say you were chosen because you had to be different from everybody. You had to be better off than anyone. But why? Do you, what does what does it matter whether you're chosen or like? Is it- I don't know. I mean, his whole point was that they were hoping they were the chosen, and they were trying to prove to themselves, oh, to themselves. Okay, that, that they were the sense. chosen. Right. And as a result, you get this unbelievable competitiveness where everyone is trying to look happier, richer, healthier everything than the rest of the people and that's what he said was the whole foundation of american culture and the capitalist system as it emerged in america okay that's fascinating sociology right sociology yeah yeah this is so this is such a sublime to the ridiculous but i was thinking about in a very pop cultural sense there's that um that exists 
online with like wellness and you know inf- wellness influencers and mm-hmm. mindfulness influencers and all that and there was actually a, a thing that happened in the news recently where um okay I'm trying to think of how to keep this anonymous but some there's a company mm. that specializes in stuff stuff uh wellness stuff often female focused wellness stuff and the person who runs it is a bit of a hollywood person and uh oh god vagina steamers i mean vagina steamers it's a whole thing um <laughs> i knew i was gonna say vagina steamer it goes along with urinating everywhere i know i should i should be <laughs> getting would... money from those people actually uh, anyway yeah. no. <laughs> someone who used to work for that company came out and said that there was a very toxic wellness culture um that's that an oxymoron experience right it's interesting you know like all the cleansers and like it, it forced her to have a very weird relationship with her body as a result when she was working there toxic wellness i'm so healthy it's sick there was something interesting that was said on that which is you know like that one of the examples was uh the chemicals in sunblock you oh. know that that no, no, we won't have that. But coming from Australia and knowing what the sun can do to your skin and mm-hmm. does to so many people's skin down there, it's like, you know, so there's the toxic wellness is oh, you end up so with skin cancer because you won't use sunblock. Sorry to bring it down Fascinate. to my level. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, every different culture has its own version. I mean, when I was in Japan, they have this, they explicitly say there's a convention called Honne and Tatemaya. And honne is your true feeling. It mm. means true sound. And tatemaya is, it means what's built in front of it. It means a false facade. And it's very, very explicit. And I was told that, um, like, I saw some people from a company drinking together. And one of them, like, punched the other guy in the face. And I was so used to watching the Japanese be incredibly polite. And I said to a Japanese friend, he just punched him in the face. He's like, yeah, they're both drunk. It's, it's honne. And I was like what and he was like tomorrow at work they have to be tatemaya they will explode if they don't have honne at some point they can't continue to work together so what they all do is go out drinking together and during that period you you show your true feelings so that you don't die from all the tatemaya when you're not drinking that is so interesting i don't know if it's the same now this was 20 years ago yeah, I well, I, I couldn't tell you, but it is so interesting because I just it makes me wonder about the role like alcohol is in so many cultures has mm. either been like in in ours or whatever ours in the very loosest sense going back has has been for a really long time, but in others where it's new, I remember reading something when I was at college about um, in Australian Indigenous peoples that they once <laughs> so weird like once white culture came in and mm-hmm. was sort of enforced and especially yeah. that British stiff upper lip thing which was alien to them hmm. um, what came in with it was alcohol which oh. allowed being authentic it allowed that you to be authentic and it was like the the loophole in the culture where wow. you could act the way you really are and that you know someone was theorizing that that's part of the reason why alcohol has become such a big issue among first nations peoples yeah yeah, yeah. because it's like the only way to deal with assi- trying to assimilate into this insane this culture insane of murderous yeah yeah yeah, that's, I mean, it's it certainly is part of Western European culture, British culture, mm-hmm. you know, that 
everybody goes to the pub, everybody, yeah, you get a little. Australian too, hugely. I was just talking to my friend at home about this, you know, about the alcohol culture in Australia. And she said that when um, she came over and stayed with us for a while in California and she said it really changed her feelings about it just because in America it just has a different, it's less. So what is it like in Australia? I think there's social pressure to do it. Hmm. And do it a lot to drink and drink a lot. So when you're drunk, do you get away with behaving, be, being more sloppy with your feelings, or not being cool all the time? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. I think it definitely there's definitely a a loose yeah, like it, it exaggerates that loosen up. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. is loose and laughing and having a good time and not taking things seriously. So and I even... think that's what the alcohol enhances and is meant to enhance in that culture. It's so fascinating coming from Utah where little did I know that Happy Valley had one of the highest alcoholism rates in the country. Did and it? and it did while I was living there have the highest rate of antidepressants. Also chocolate donuts. Um, per well, capita, more chocolate donut eaters. The antidepressants and the chocolate donuts make sense to me, but given that alcohol is expressly forbidden, in yeah. it really speaks to that. I'm trying to find the Japanese words, the hona and the tatamae. Yeah, right. Because you're not even in you know, some sort of relationship with your religion, right? You're in right. a relationship with people to be seen to be in your religion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, you're you're happily drinking away behind closed doors. It was uh, when I was studying this in the nineties that that population had the high, the lowest number of people per capita who drank at all, and one of the highest numbers of alcoholics per capita. So if you were drinking, you were drinking hard. That's sad. And I do think, and then heroin became huge there too. So (laughs) it it was a sensation that swept the nation. It's a happy valley. It's like Beatlemania all over again. Have have you heard about heroin? (laughs) It's huge. It's so interesting. Uh, Anyway, we should do a whole other thing on. I it's so bizarre to me that people will say, "Oh yeah, he he punched his wife, but he was drunk." And I'm like, in a in a Mm. place where they no one uses that excuse. Yeah, right. That's interesting. That means he should be locked up even more because he has access to alcohol and he punches people <laughs> people are like oh it's fine he was drunk that's so, that is weird. so weird and yet when you first said it i was like mm-hmm. yeah it's, yeah, it's like oh let her dr- she, of course she ran over the lawn ornament she was huffing paint i mean what are you gonna do <laughs> like it, it it was very bizarre to me oh that's anyway so in, in our own ways we all learn that it is better to look good than to feel good as right. billy crystal used to say on saturday Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So in we all have that. All the cultures, it seems like, yeah. have that. So how do we come to our senses? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh! By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. 
So I have to say, like, the eternal shortcut for coming to your senses, no matter what the um, the topic of the day is, it's always what Marty says in The Way of Integrity, her latest book, instant New York Times bestseller, Oprah's book club selection, no big deal. But she says integrity is, I mean, tell me if this is, if I've got it right, but it's like, feel what you really feel, know what you really know, say what you really mean and do what you really want. Is that it? That's it. So, all right. So then why, how do we, what's the cleanse? (laughs) What's the juice cleanse for toxic positivity? Well, it's to do what, it's exactly what you just said, but people get, we've all been socialized not to do that. So this immediate objection comes up. You say to people, I say, feel what you really feel, know what you really know, say what you really mean and do what you really want. And they say, well, if that happened, if I let down the cultural norm, there would be insanity. Things would run amok. Mm. And in this case, it is that um, people would not behave well. Everybody would be whinging and complaining, peeing on each other, peeing with on abandon. each other. Yeah, they wouldn't. And uh, there would it would be a total breakdown in the the norm of how we respond to each other. And maybe mm. you know, if we stopped pretending everything was fine, we just stomp off and do what we wanted for ourselves and not be there for other people. It would shatter the social contract right right Right. but actually when you stop happy washing you find that let go of the culture Mm -hmm. come all the way back to your true nature and you find that your nature is inherently kind and generous toward other people that makes so much sense because today online i just saw a little photo of a little boy and there was a statue of a rabbit that was trying it was falling off something it was trying to get back up and the boy was trying to help that rabbit statue and the whole thing and you actually see this everywhere is that children who haven't been as enculturated yeah you know they did this great study i think with six month olds they were very very young not talking at all and they did it with two puppets they held up two puppets and let the baby choose which puppet and the babies would randomly choose about the same 50 50. Mm. then they did these little dramas where one puppet was trying to climb up something and the other puppet came and either helped it mm-hmm. or knocked it down and then they gave the babies the choice again and they overwhelmingly preferred the helpful puppet yeah so there's an innate and this is what you've been saying too that toddlers innately want to help and i didn't know this with my older kids sometimes they want to flail and scream yeah sometimes well yeah sometimes they're being peed on like (laughs) (laughs) but the cause of all tantrums you know like lila's always trying to get in the garbage the bin as you call it and she and we'd have to pull her away screaming and yelling until we figured out she was trying to help and yeah. if we if you give her some trash and say could you throw it away she's so happy yeah also we, if she finds your glasses and wants to be helpful she will also she put will those throw them the away garbage. absolutely mm. and she takes dishes out of the dishwasher before they're clean and <laughs> distributes them around to the family so helpfully though like you gotta love her for yeah it. and, she's and, really helpful and like there was an incident the other day also that happened in that same bathroom this is the absolutely the hotbed of (laughs) nature versus culture (laughs) but you were remember you were in there with her holding her and you were barefoot she was barefoot no she was she had followed me in we were both barefoot and we'd gone from a carpeted space to a tiled Mm -hmm. space and she had 
Uh, we had, because we're like, la, la, natural, we have glass bottles for it. Had. I'm, I've faced them out a long time ago. Won't get into who hasn't in the house, but, you know. Yeah. <sighs> um, so there was this one glass bottle and Lila got it and followed me in to be helpful. To, she was actually genuinely trying to put it back on the counter in the or on the sink or whatever in the bathroom. And she wasn't quite tall enough to do that. And it fell and it smashed right in between her two feet and my two feet were right around her two feet. So it was like, it was it a, smashed it shattered. so hard that it drove shards of glass into the tops of their feet. Yeah. Not mine, Lila's. Oh, she my was very soft feet. Yeah. So she was, you know, terrified and in pain. And I was I, terrified because of the bare feet situation yeah. and not knowing. And I heard the smash I didn't see what happened, but before I even knew what was happening, I had grabbed a pair of um, shoes that was nearby and had sort of, I was in the bathroom putting Mm. the shoes on your feet, picking up Lila, and you were calming her and comforting her, and she went, you immediately got to a safe place and started cleaning the glass out of her feet. I immediately started getting every single tiny shard of glass out, and then within about five minutes, we were all completely like stable again that's true and it was a really good example to me of how kindness is not a thing you have to adopt when you're distanced from when you're not distanced from your natural feelings because our natures it happened so fast and both of us by nature went to help have we talked before i think we have actually about how crisis can shock you out of all the cultural beliefs and and yeah, because it was that that woman who had COVID, and she she was sort of like, I just want to live like that all the time, right? And it's it's that same sort of thing of just like in that moment when you you suddenly realize, okay, this is truly the response here, and this is mm. truly the the authentic way I feel, and yeah, it all happens, and it's so interesting because like the trendy kind of line in parenting right now, which I love, I think is brilliant. Is all about, you know, you allow, and this is especially with toddlers, allowing the feelings while putting boundaries around the behavior. So all the feelings are okay. All, you know, and, and they're, you know, happy washing is bullshit. It's like, right. And, and, you know, so we're taught, sort of taught to, oh, it can be, you know, it can feel sad when someone takes your toy away. You can be frustrated when this, it can be scary when a bottle mm. smashes, um, and, you know, we have so many moments, Marty, don't we, where we're like, oh, that's a parenting principle that we should apply more broadly in life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, we actually do that. I want to make a little caveat before we go into that, though. And that mm-hmm. is that um, some people, if they, some people express a lot of negativity and sadness and pain and everything, but they do it manipulatively. Oh, so in you're fact- talking about like people who aren't happy washing but they're not they actually they're not are, being authentic either. They're faking the opposite. This is one huh. of the major tells of a psychopath. And they, they believe that probably one out of every 25 people may be born with psych- psychopathy. So in that case, what psychopaths feel overwhelmingly is self-pity. And they use, I'm not okay, to manipulate other people. Hmm. So I just want to say, if there it, there's an instinctive repulsion that we feel when someone is faking negativity so be very alert 
for that. Mm, You'll feel it in your gut. You won't want to go help. I've seen this in so Mm. many groups I've worked with. And also, if you notice no reciprocity in a relationship, no give and take, they want to whine to you, but you never whine to them at all. Mm. Be very, very careful. Get away if you can. It should feel reciprocal, healthy, and um, and genuinely fulfilling to connect with someone about something negative in a true way. Right, so and I also careful. find yeah, be careful. But also, one thing that can really help with that is um, in good households they put a little sign on the fence out the front that just says beware of the psycho and if you just always keep an eye out for that before you go into the house yeah it can be another really good way to spot the psychopath psychopath. oh you never know which one it is so oh that's so true that's a whole nother episode (laughs) (laughs) anyway i i just want to talk about how you know by god we do this and it's because you were raised without much happy washing and so you would be like when i wasn't not much washing at all now that i think about it (laughs) you have to deal with your mother after this (laughs) but um you can actually create a culture i at first i didn't know what was happening because you would say to me why are you acting happy when you're not and i didn't Mm. even realize i was happy washing freaked me out yeah and i would never complain and then you would say oh i feel bad and i would try to fix it so that you'd be happy it was more than that actually i can remember both you and karen being in this reflexive no you don't no and there was like this sort of tendency to contradict everything's fine yeah yeah it was really weird and you actually um you you talked us out of it so we created um a culture where there's no happy washing, but no fixing and no pity either. Wasn't there a book that you read about that once? Oh, sorry. There's, <laughs> I, there's a book uh, that's about burnout by Amelia and Emily Nagoski. These mm-hmm. twins who are, they're both very accomplished in their own right. And they wrote this book on burnout and they did a really good TED talk on creating a bubble of love where you can have all this genuineness. Yeah. Thank you, because I had really needed you to mention their names so that I could do my segue that I have prepared now, which is completely (laughs) unrelated to this podcast, but I love it so much that I'm going to tell it. So you said Emily and Amelia Nagoski, and I thought, huh, Emily and Amy are the names of the Indigo Girls, and immediately the band, the Indigo Girls, and immediately into my head popped a story that our beloved Karen told us about... I think probably her her inaugural like foray into like gay stuff back in the day <laughs> yeah. was that someone took her to like a women's uh, music festival and, you know, one of those outdoor sort of marquees and stuff. <laughs> and um, so the Indigo Girls were playing. Yeah, see, that's the that's the link. And the Indigo Girls were on stage playing and suddenly the stage literally collapsed or part of the stage collapsed. Everyone was fine, but the stage was collapsed. And Karen said, from the crowd, strode here, there, everywhere, like not in one group, but just as though organically arising, the lesbians stepped forth with their like belts of tools and they in real time quite quickly just rebuilt the stage 
and the show went on. Isn't that a great story about that is great. Emily and Amelia? And it actually pertains, if only metaphorically. Really? Because what you're saying is let the shelf, let the, whatever collapses collapse. Uh-huh. And we will step forward automatically to fix it. We have that capacity. So go ahead, break down a little. We'll, that can. But aren't we uh, saying don't fix it? Yeah, you're right. I went back into my <laughs> fix it. So forget I just said that. In fact, it's not a metaphor. It's just a funny story. Done. <laughs> so make an agreement if you feel like you want to. I don't want because to. Because it's worked. But it has worked for us. We have this mutual agreement that we can express our negative feelings, not to manipulate and not to get anyone to fix us, mm. but simply to be understood. There's some, there's something that I've seen online. It's just like a tweet that everyone shared uh, and still are sharing because is, is someone sort of saying, you know, the most profound moment, um, the most profound lesson that I've learned in friendship is to ask the question, are you, do you want me to help solve this or is this just, are you just venting? Yeah. And to understand the difference because it is so pervasive in the culture yeah. and yet our nature, it's our little nature that just wants someone to say, Oh, that yeah. sucks. Yeah, and I used to try to psychologize and yeah. fix you and everything. And you finally taught me the Australian way, which is to listen to somebody complain and then go, that sucks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of, so yeah, I have a no, no fixing necessary, no pity is required, but openness about everything and compassion toward it all. And also you didn't used to complain and I didn't like that because I complain freely and I wanted it to be equal. Yeah. So I had to like encourage you for quite a long time to oh my stop gosh. complaining. My God, everybody, it's awesome. <laughs> complaining is wonderful. <laughs> it's the best. So that's what I would encourage everyone to do. There you go. go. Get in touch with yourself. Stop happy, happy washing. Yeah. Get grubby. And don't happy wash yourself. Yeah. Wash yourself. But, but don't, don't happy, happy wash, wash yourself. yourself. And stay, stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think 
and the world needs wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to marthabeck.com and you'll find your way. <laughs>